Welcome to the podcast, Think Biblically, Conversations on Faith and Culture. I'm your host, Scott Ray, Dean of Faculty and Professor of Christian Ethics at Talbot School of Theology here at Biola University. And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell, Professor of Christian Apologetics at Talbot School of Theology, Biola University. We're here with our special guest today, Dr. Kenman Wong, who is Professor of Business Ethics in uh, at the Seattle Pacific University School of Business and Economics. He's been there for 20 plus years. Uh, he's also a, a dear friend and writing colleague. We taught business ethics together at Biola for a while, have written a handful of books together. But Kenman, what I really want to talk about today is this Faith and Company film series that you were the producer for. It's a series of 13 eight to 10 minute short films uh, on the intersection of Christian faith and business in, in companies throughout the world. It's a fabulous film series, highly recommended. Just to our listeners, just Google Faith and Company uh, and it'll come right up uh, and you can have access to the film series. So Kenman, welcome. Great to have you with us. Great to connect with my good friend. Uh, and thanks so much for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, you've been a great colleague over 20 plus years and uh, really good to be with Sean as well. I remember he was in a class that you and I taught together and I've kind of followed him from afar and really proud of the influence that uh, that both of you are having and the work that you're doing there at Biola. So really a pleasure to be with you today. Well, thank you very much. Kevin, let me start out with how sort of how you got involved in producing this film series to begin with, because I don't know too many professors who transitioned to becoming film producers. Uh, like you have done here. So how, how did this work? How did you get involved in this uh, in the first place? Well, great question. Uh, I'll back up a little bit uh, in, in the sense that a very generous donor approached us about making a digital media project to encourage and equip Christians working in business uh, to approach their work in biblically and theologically sound ways. Uh, the entire project involves the films, which are the most visible part, a small group curriculum built around the films and a free online digital course uh, that develops the themes in the films into a much deeper learning experience. Um, initially, I was invited to join really as a subject matter expert, but since, you know, quite honestly, we really didn't know what we were getting ourselves into, uh, the, my role had to expand into that of a traditional film producer uh, and then some. It was a lot of hard work, but really probably one of the, the great blessings and highlights of my career so far. Well, the, the the film series is just is just so well done, uh, so professionally done. I think it, for a bunch of people who started out not knowing quite what they're doing, you guys have done a wonderful job with that. But tell us, tell our listeners a little bit more about what exactly were you and your team trying to accomplish with this? Yeah, great question. Really, several objectives. Uh, first, we really wanted to honor the story and vision of our lead donor. Uh, he's a tech entrepreneur. And uh, with a lot of emotion in his voice, he'll tell you that a, how vocational theology deeply changed his life. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home and had a committed, active faith. Uh, but he'll tell you that it was not until his mid-40s that he realized his work in business as a tech entrepreneur could be a form of worship and service, uh, and his work could be a place of spiritual formation in its own right. Uh, by then, he estimates that he had put in, by his count, over 40,000 hours into work, uh, but realizing that uh, work is a form of service and worship uh, changed both why and how he went about his work uh, in the world of technology. Uh, I don't think his story is uncommon. Uh, as you know, Scott and, and Sean, a lot of Christians working in quote-unquote secular jobs 
only see their work as extrinsically valuable to God's mission. Uh, that is, our work is either a platform for evangelism or a way to earn money to support the church, uh, missionaries, or other charitable causes. So uh, while we're not saying that these are bad ways to connect our faith and work, we see them as tragically incomplete um, because they leave the actual work we do. So for business people, it would be making products, uh, designing retail spaces, allocating resources, uh, managing people, interacting with customers, it leaves those activities as really devoid of value to God's purposes uh, and mission. And when we separate our faith and our work like that, uh, we're, we're largely left to be guided by dominant cultural values of how we do our work. So we wanted to encourage Christians to see their work in spiritual terms, um, and we wanted to provide examples of how that could be done. Uh, you know, as business ethics professors, we're well aware that there are too many stories and examples of how not to do business, but there are not enough positive examples about how to do that in light of the gospel. So uh, we really wanted to provide uh, exemplars, not definitive models, uh, mind you, but faithful expressions of how faith can deeply inform business. Now, Kenman, being a professor and a writer and researcher is very different than producing a film series. I can imagine you had a pretty steep learning curve in doing this. Can you tell us a little about the process and what you learned along the way? Yeah, I'd say there's some things that we professors do that uh, lend themselves pretty well to producing films. Uh, for example, really knowing your students or knowing your audience and the questions they're asking. Um, and at a risk of sounding a bit presumptuous, perhaps the questions they ought to be asking. Uh, and then also using elements of story, uh, conflict, tension, to uh, evoke learning and to evoke emotion are both elements, I think, of teaching to the heart as well as good filmmaking. Uh, but that said, you know, I think for me, I've really come to appreciate just how much goes on behind the scenes in uh, making any kind of art, especially film. Literally thousands of decisions and details have to be in place for the creative team to do their work before any cameras come out or any editing's done. And then secondly, I've really appreciated what, what it takes for creative folks um, to blend together narrative, dialogue, visual images, sound, and music uh, to develop a story that will take viewers on an emotional journey. So, uh, Kevin, you you use the the tagline to business on purpose, yeah, to describe the basically the point of the film series. Well, tell us a little bit more about what exactly do you mean by that term? Yeah, I I, I think just even tying together Sean's previous question, one other thing I I really would learn in this process was just how many Christian business people are out there quietly engaged in, in uh, doing business on purpose, redemptive work in incredibly creative ways. Uh, and what we mean by this is um, Christians who, not, who see their work as a true calling. So not only as a place to share the gospel or to earn money to support missions uh, or ministries, but as a part of the mission of God to promote shalom or flourishing or the reconciliation of all things. Uh, so for business people, uh, we found that would translate to several ideals or aspirations. Um, one thing being really the purpose of why they're in business in the first place. Is it profit alone or is it to serve God and their neighbors? Uh, secondly, it relates to the products and services they offer and how they support human flourishing. Uh, thirdly, it relates to place. So how businesses can serve uh, communities and their immediate neighbors, especially those who lack opportunity. 
And fourthly, it relates to people. So how we go about treating our employees and our customers, uh, both in our practices, policies, and our day-to-day interactions. Kim, and I have a two-part question for you. How did you find people doing kind of this business on purpose approach? And how do you decide which stories to include uh, in this project? That's a great question. That was really a lot of work, uh, to be frank, um, but well worth it. Um, and really, it really came down to the generosity of people opening up their networks to us. So we'd kind of talk to people who we thought knew somebody and they'd give us some names and we just kept digging and digging. Um, and really, it was, it was, we knew it was God's work because some incredible doors opened, incredible connections were made, and people were super generous. Uh, but the criteria we had was really we were looking for people who saw their work as purposeful by the criteria I just described in my previous answer. Uh, they had to be articulate about making connections regarding how their faith informed their values and choices. Uh, we were looking for some theological nuance. So we really try to avoid uh, the kinds of stories that are pretty prevalent out there that really sort of tacitly re- reinforce the prosperity gospel. You know, those stories where, you know, I was kind of going down the wrong path and then I, I changed my practices to be more biblically faithful. And then all of a sudden I made all this money. Um, you know, I, I don't doubt that that can occur, but I don't think that's the norm. Uh, sometimes faithfulness uh, can help, can really lead us to losing money. It can be costly. Um, and so we try to find people that recognize those kinds of tensions um, and understood limits and really kind of understood suffering. Um, and then we look for people who had a good story. So meaning they were really o- trying to overcome or had to overcome some kind of significant tension or conflict, uh, whether it was uh, a theology that said you can only glorify God by working in a church, uh, an economic dur- downturn, or even industry norms. We found a number of Christians who were really, uh, for lack of a better descriptor, cultural disruptors uh, who were working in industries uh, that had terrible reputations for how they treated customers or clients, and were really trying to redeem those industries. And then ideally, we wanted to find people who worked in a context uh, that would have some enticing visual elements, so something uh, that would be beautiful or visually interesting to film. Kim, and I've seen all of the all thirteen of the films, and they are some incredibly inspiring stories. Um, I'd like to have you tell our listeners about some of the ones that, uh, or maybe are at the top of the list of of your favorites. Um, but the one I the one I I want I wanted to hear about is the one about the 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 Flow Motors company. That's that I think is one of the ones that you were describing where. You know, you had a company that was doing business really differently in an industry that had a lousy reputation. Uh, and they, you know, their part of their purpose was to re- help redeem an industry. Um, so tell us a little bit about the Flow Motor stories. And then I'd love to hear, sorry, you know, one of your f- very favorites. Yeah, I think all the stories were, were, were uh, just tremendous in terms of the example and how people were, were living out their faith at, at work. So it's kind of like asking me, which one of my children, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll say, I say, yeah, Don Flo is a, is a car dealer in the, in North Carolina and Virginia uh, owns 35 dealerships or is a, the primary owner of 35 dealerships. He does have partners in the business. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you've ever purchased a car under that um, kind of negotiation model where you go back and forth and the salesperson can't give you the final word, they have to go to a desk to get a final price. Um, you know, it's it's a, not a great experience. I think uh, buying a car has been 
rated as one of the worst uh, consumer experiences, largely because we walk off a lot, not ever knowing if, if we got a good deal. Um, and flow is very much a disruptor. And so uh, some of his practices are, are actually pretty mind blowing. People thought, uh, told him he was crazy and he'd go out of business immediately. Uh, but he uses things like um, upfront fixed pricing. So you know exactly what you're paying. They're very open uh, with customers about what they pay for a car, especially a used car. So it's clear what the markup is. Um, they repair cars, they'll give you one estimate. Um, they'll never exceed that. If they get the estimate wrong, they'll eat the cost. Um, they cap pricing on um, on financing. So in other words, even though uh, consumers would be willing to pay more, they don't think it's fair to charge people past a certain point. Uh, by the way, all of that is really um, motivated by a sense of justice. What they found is that people uh, who were lower on the income level uh, were, were tended to be um, not as capable negotiators over the price of a car or financing. And so they felt like it was really taking advantage of people who were poor uh, by not having fixed pricing and not having caps on financing. Uh, they also give a 100,000 mile warranty on used cars. I mean, I think that's pretty unbelievable. Um, you know, we've been shopping for, wow. cars for our, our teenagers. I've never heard of that. And that's not something we've ever found. In fact, most places give you no warranty. You drive a used car off the lot and you're kind of days at most. So he's very much a disruptor on the, the consumer side, but then also has some incredible practices with employees. Um, we got to spend a couple of days hanging out at one of his dealerships and um, really quite an experience to, to watch that. So guy, again, somebody who's really uh, disrupted the whole industry in terms of how to go to market and how to treat your customer. Um, second one I'll mention is a very small company in San Francisco called uh, Dayspring Technologies. Um, uh, Dayspring just, uh, wow, they were so thoughtful. Uh, I went out there filming, uh, quite honestly, thinking I knew a lot about how to integrate faith and business. Um, uh, but these guys were at a whole nother level. And uh, they're, they're in San Francisco. They used to be located downtown. And at one point, they decided to move to Bayview, which is a kind of a downtrodden community with high crime, high unemployment, not any tourist maps. So you can imagine the risk of moving from downtown uh, to a community like that as a tech company, a risk to their business. Um, but they moved there really to, to co-invest and co-house with a church uh, in that community and join the work of God there. Um, and really across all those dimensions of purpose, um, they, they serve a lot of science and tech companies. Um, but uh, in addition to the relocation, uh, they emphasize 40-hour work weeks. So as a consultancy, they will uh, really kind of turn down work that would require their employees to work more than 40 hours a week. Uh, they practice hospitality to the community. Uh, and perhaps most radically, and they would not hold this out as a definitive model, but they actually have a three to one CEO to janitor pay ratio, uh, largely because it's so expensive to live in San Francisco. Uh, they wanted their lowest paid employees to be able to afford a decent living. Um, so really a, a, quite a company, very thoughtful in what they're doing. These are such good stories. And the question I'm going to ask you, the answer might be as simple as just point somebody to see your films, to see it for themselves. But I'm curious what you'd say to the person, the Christian who insists, you know, my work is just a paycheck. And this is also kind of a part, a two-part question. How do you motivate somebody to start thinking on this kingdom level? And what are the theological or biblical points somebody's missing who views their job in a completely secular fashion just for a paycheck? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Sean. And I, I want to answer this very carefully because I think for many people, especially those who may lack vocational choice or, or have say over how they do their work, uh, you know, their work may in fact be primarily exchange of labor for money. Uh, and many people do work in contexts where they're not treated with a great deal of respect or dignity. So it'd be hard for them to see their work as anything more than a means to earn a living. In fact, uh, my own parents were immigrants. Uh, so for them, meaningful work was earning money so their children uh, could have work that was about more than a paycheck. Uh, that said, I think I would encourage anybody in that position to perhaps take a, a bit of a deeper look. Uh, so we're, we're about to release actually a second season of films uh, late this year or in January of 2020. Uh, and one example is we filmed a pallet company in Denver that is doing all kinds of admiral things for their largely immigrant workforce. One thing they do to create a sense of purpose beyond making a paycheck is by um, emphasizing to their employees how something as seemingly mundane and boring as making and delivering wood shipping pallets is really critical to the functioning of our entire economy, as pallets are essential to the physical movement of the goods that we, we purchase and enjoy every day in our lives. Um, and while many of our films are really about leaders who have more influence, um, I think uh, everyone could perhaps think about how they can be faithful in their own uh, small sphere, sphere of influence, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem. Uh, so, for example, in my own town here in Seattle, uh, at the original Costco, kind of south of downtown, uh, there was a doorman at the checkout, uh, checkout line named Tom. Uh, I, I don't know his, his faith background if, or if, if he even had one, uh, but he would brighten each customer's day uh, by taking their receipts as, it, as they exited, looking in their carts, and then playing a guessing game of what their, the total amount of their receipt was. <laughs> and, uh, most of the time, he'd come really close. Uh, and then he'd also often return the seat with a quick drawing of a caricature of the customer. Um, and he uh, moved, I think, a year or two ago to Arizona, and uh, people missed him. I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing. Even our local uh, paper wrote a long story of, of where, where Tom went. Um, and I'll get one wow. more example. Uh, the husband of one of our film subjects shared with me, he's a computer programmer, how he approaches debugging code as an act of worship, uh, interestingly enough, and how he really kind of worked quietly to sort of initiate more celebrations of his coworkers' achievements in his workplace, really to kind of uh, introduce more of a humanity to the, to the work that they're doing. Um, so I would encourage people to look that way. Um, and then the second part of your question, you know, I think a lot of that might uh, start with what's taught in our churches. Um, I, I don't think that many churches are now um, overtly kind of separating spiritual and secular work, uh, but I think sometimes it gets tacitly um, reinforced. Uh, so in other words, I think there are, there are things happening in churches. For example, when uh, someone leaves um, a secular job for professional ministry, uh, there's often a celebration. But in contrast, when the opposite occurs, uh, when, when a pastor perhaps leaves working in a church to go into a secular profession, uh, there are whispers about scandal or burnout. Interesting. Uh, you know, likewise, when a pastor is quote unquote bivocational, uh, their secular job is only seen as a means to support uh, his or her church job. Um, and, and finally, you know, I think we, we, all, we often co quote unquote commission those going out on short-term missions trips but uh, why don't we do likewise for those about to do internships or enter new jobs in fields like medicine, teaching, 
uh, the arts, business, or even construction. Oh, that's Kenman. That's all really good stuff, and I think it's a big it's a big part of helping people recognize, in essence, what they are already doing, and to frame it correctly theologically in terms of uh, a, a biblical notion of work and vocation. Yeah. Now, my, my, I think my favorite story <clears throat> is, is the film about the Magpies Girl oh. uh, Company, uh, particularly their, their mission to young girls in a culture that is encouraging the hypersexualization of girls at a younger and younger and younger age. And I, I think the cultural impact that they are potentially having I think is pretty significant. Tell us about their story. Yeah, great, great story. And having two teenage daughters myself, I uh, immediately resonated with uh, with her mission and her purpose when I uh, uh, conducted a pre-production interview with her. Uh, but her name's Maggie Tucker, and this is a, a store in Nashville. In fact, she owns two two stores. Uh, one is for younger children, and one is uh, quote unquote for a term that she hates. Uh, tweens. Um, she ab- absolutely hates that term. Um, but yeah, you know, she's very, very intentional about what she carries in the s- store. She wanted to create a retail space where girls could be uh, treated and loved for who they were and not not trying to be someone else as she understood all the, the pressures of that age. Uh, and, and she shares that she was a, a very awkward teen, so to speak. Um, and so she really could relate to that age very well. Uh, and one thing that really struck out to me was how she trains her staff. So uh, she has her staff bring in pictures of themselves at that age and, and share about how they felt and to remind themselves of what, what it's like, the pressures, the hypersexualization, um, all that comes with being in that age, um, in, in that really awkward age. So, yeah, it's a great story. Another one of, of I think, cultural disruption. Kenman, I was speaking at a large church in in a, in a state I won't even mention. I met two men in their 30s who'd been in church their entire life, and they were both mechanical engineers. Mm-hmm. And I asked them, I said, I'm curious, how does your faith uh, intersect with your work? They looked at each other, they looked at me, and they said, I don't know, we've never thought about it. And it hit me that that's indicative of so many people today not making those connections. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what you would say to these these two men in their 30s and then second, how practically do you envision people using these films that you've produced? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, I, I, I think I would try to ask um, where that lack of connection perhaps comes from. And I, I suspect it, it might be um, theology or an understanding of the Bible um, that's really been distorted, uh, that really elevates, quote unquote, the spiritual over the material. And I think if we understood that God, loves the world, right? John 3, 16, the word there is cosmos. So it means the entire world. Uh, God built and loves the material world as much as he loves our souls. And so for a mechanical engineer, somebody building cabinets, which is uh, what uh, a person that's one of, that one of our films is about, uh, building things out of, out of beauty, building things for safety, building things that enhance lives, our, our roads, the pipes in our house, our air conditioning systems, cabinets, all of those things, um, I think, can serve to, to benefit life here on Earth, which God very much cares about. Um, and what's the second part of your question? 
Oh, I was just throwing you a softball to tell us and the audience specifically how you envision these films being used. So it could be seminary professors, pastors, even parents, like with their kids. Yeah, I I think uh, all of the above. So we've had some really great uh, reception to the project so far, both the films, the small group curriculum, and then people taking the course. So we've had uh, churches show them. We've had university classrooms use them. Uh, we've had um, a couple of companies actually use them to, to help train their employees. Uh, we've had people, yeah, um, use them in high school classrooms, um, small groups in churches. So the hope would be that the films we made to be evocative. We hope that they really get people uh, to lean in and be inspired. And then we hope that leads them perhaps to use the study guide or a digital course or in a deeper reading, even in a deeper conversations in their churches uh, about how to take this deeper. So the hope would be this changes why people do their work and how they go about doing their work and that they see their workplace really as a place of spiritual formation. Uh, because I think a lot of how we're formed spiritually happens um, in the conflicts and the tensions and the things that we create and the joys that we experience uh, through our work. We spend so much time there. Uh, How could God not use it for those purposes? Kenman, just really practically for our audience, how long are most of these films? Uh, They're six to 10 minutes a piece. So we we purposely kept them short enough uh, that in this day and age of of quick attention spans in YouTube, that they'd be uh, watchable, but long enough so that they'd have some good content to them. Uh, and and I think at the risk of sounding uh, boastful, I think all of them are, are quite engaging. We had a great creative team. Our film director and cinematographer did a wonderful job of the creative storytelling, so that they're they're all pretty compelling. Yeah, I, I can I can attest to that. Having seen them, they they get your attention pretty quickly, and they hold it really well. Thank you, um, Kenman. One other thing how how would how would one of our listeners uh, access these films? Yeah, so they're all online free, as is more information about the other uh, parts of the project. Uh, www- hey, Kenman, let me, let me cut you off. They're all online free. Just yeah. make sure this sinks into our audience in case they zoned out for half a second. Yeah. Top quality videos, a resources for families, churches, you name it, is free. Six to ten minutes in length. Like, I want to make sure our audience hears this because this is a great resource. So tell us specifically the website to make sure that we don't miss it. Yeah. So www.faithand.co, C-O. And we're also uh, distributed through Right Now Media, uh, Theology at Work Project. Uh, Q is going to, uh, I believe, also carry our films here with an upcoming media project that they're doing. So they're out on different sites, but our our primary hosting website is www.faithand.co. Right. Kenman, I'm so encouraged to, to see these films get out in public. Uh, I'm so delighted to hear there's a second round of them coming uh, in the next few months. Uh, and I so, was just so excited about the, the message this gives, how it helps people in the workplace frame their work biblically and theologically uh, in a way that I think a lot of folks just haven't thought about. Sean, like the two engineers you talked about, I yeah. think that— uh, as you know, as as you know, Kenman, that experience is not uncommon. Uh, there are a lot of people that just have never thought much about how their work intersects with their faith. It, it's as though it's church on Sunday, work on Monday, and if the two happen to meet by chance, that's great. But we sort of live life as if they don't most of the time. 
Kenman, when I was in your business ethics class, I distinctly remember you shared how at sometimes at Biola and Chapel, we'd have people stand and commission them for mission trips, but we wouldn't commission people going to be interns at IBM or going to work in schools for the summer. And I still share that talk, that story in my talks today. And as you know, our theme at Biola now is think biblically about everything. Mm -hmm. So what you're doing is so in line with our vision and our mission here at Biola. So be encouraged, keep it up. Thanks for producing a great resource for the church. Thank you. And thanks, thanks for having me. Really great to, to uh, and a great honor to be uh, with both of you and great to talk to you again, Sean. It's been a long time, so I'm really glad to be reconnected and blessings to you, Scott. Yeah, Kevin, great to have you on. Thanks so much for telling the stories uh, and for all the work that you and your team put in to produce these films. Thank you. This has been an episode of the podcast, Think Biblically. Conversations on Faith and Culture. To learn more about us and today's guest, Dr. Kenman Wong, and the film series Faith and Company, and to find more episodes, go to biola.edu forward slash think biblically. That's biola.edu forward slash think biblically. If you enjoyed today's conversation, give us a rating on your podcast app and be sure to share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening, and remember, think biblically about everything. <laughs>